Welcome back to another episode of The Serial Killer. I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs, and I want to explain why, well, it's been almost a year since the end of Season 6 and the beginning of Season 7. I was getting worn out, guys. Uh, Straight out, simple. Um, I got a new setup, new laptop, new microphone, everything else, mixing board, you know, all that stuff. So, you know... we go anyways um just letting y'all know too i'm going to be starting my own radio show jeremy's rock nation is going to be on digitalrevolutionradio.com uh starting on um sunday nights uh from nine to midnight eastern time we're still trying to set up the computer and everything else to be able to get the software so i can uh broadcast um so we're working on all that so hopefully here pretty soon we are going to have that going um but yeah guys i was just getting kind of burned out on it and wanted to take some time away also the fact that i kind of looked up what people thought of my show and uh, a lot of very negative comments and i was in a pretty bad headspace at the time um so it was only some months after my aunt passed away that i took care of for about 15 years and i was really getting tired of all the negativity um there's a lot to that that i won't go into um that happened with my aunt's death and um so anyways yeah we're getting back into this here season seven starts right now of the serial killer and today we are talking about john scott dunkel who is also known as the peninsula serial killer Mr. Dunkel was born in Los Angeles, California on October 11th, 1960. Uh, and uh, he is still in there, uh, life imprisonment. Victims three from 1981 to 1985 in the state of California. He was caught July 5th, 1985, and is serving his time in San Quentin. Heard that's a very nice place. All right, guys, um, I literally just looked at this and there's like absolutely nothing about this guy. Uh, pretty much what I read to you is pretty much what this guy has. So this is going to be a really crappy first episode. So I might have to add on to this one and kind of put in two people here. Um, okay, so he was arrested uh, for the murder of three young boys in Belmont, California between 1981 and 85. Uh, he was convicted of two of the murders in 1989 and was sentenced to death early the following year. Dunkel received an additional sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole in 95 after pleading guilty to a 1985 murder. In addition to the three boys that were murdered, Dunkel assaulted numerous other boys and was arrested for other crimes, including burglaries and hit-and-run accidents. Okay, so that's all for John Dunkel. I'm going to add a second person to this episode, and it'll be a little bit longer. So I will be working on that. And uh, obviously, when this comes out, you're going to see that it's a a two-person, a two-for-one episode. So that'll kind of kind of say, hey, guys, sorry that it took so long for me to come back for season seven. But uh, we're, I'll get on to that right now.
All right, we're back for the second serial killer, the two for one of start of season seven. We have William Clyde Gibson. William Clyde Gibson III was born October 10th, 1957 in Raleigh, North Carolina. He is still incarcerated for auto theft and three counts of murder. Three plus victims in a crime span of 2002 to 2012 in the states of Indiana and others alleged, which they don't really say. So, okay, here we go. William Clyde Gibson III was born on October 10th, 1957, Rolland, North Carolina, the youngest of four children born to William Jr., a foreman of a tree trimming company, and Geraldine Jerry Gibson, a cashier at a Sears store. When he was two years old, the family moved out of state and settled in New Albany, Indiana, where Gibson grew up in later interviews, he claimed that he had never experienced any abuse or neglect from either of his parents. That's a first. He's clapping, that was wrong. <laughs> the wrong button. <laughs> he said that he was even spoiled by acknowledged, uh, but acknowledged that his father was an alcoholic who would become combative when drunk. From an early age, Gibson displayed odd behavior, having trouble speaking to others, struggling at school, and preferring to stay home with his mother. Whenever he went to school, Gibson was bullied up until the sixth grade when he became large enough to defend himself. However, he started bullying other children. He often got into trouble for fighting, talking in class, and not following directions. This continued outside of school and with a childhood friend, Melody Schultz, claiming that Gibson had shot another child in the eye with a pellet gun at the age of 13. <laughs> he started drinking and later that year would be arrested for stealing a motorbike. Eventually, Gibson dropped out of school and continued to commit small-time crimes, including drunk driving and crashing the car. Two weeks after this accident, he joined the Army and was stationed in West Germany. Here we go. Another military person who became a serial killer. If you guys have been listening to me long enough, I have had many serial killers that I've talked about who were in some branch of the military at one time or another. Uh, he was stationed in West Germany as a mechanic. During his deployment, he was awarded badges for marksmanship and hand grenade usage. But at this time, he developed an addiction to drugs such as heroin, cocaine, and LSD which he often mixed with alcohol. Pretty smart. In 1979, he was dishonorably discharged for stealing a car and sentenced to a year imprisonment at Fort Leavenworth, where he attempted to kill himself by slitting his wrist on one occasion. After his release, he married an artist in 1980, but after he was diagnosed with infertility, Gibson intensified his drug use, possibly smoking upwards of 20 marijuana joints a day. He became Cheech and Chong. On January 26, 1991, Gibson hit another vehicle while backing up his pickup truck, but sped off after seeing a nearby police officer step, attempt to inspect the damage. In an ensuing high-speed chase, he eventually crashed into another vehicle from which uh, the other driver had eight broken ribs. Jesus, that's like his whole rib cage. Ow. Gibson suffered injuries that required numerous stitches on his head. Eight months later, Gibson was charged with robbery and sexually battery relating to an incident involving a 20-year-old woman whom he sexually assaulted in a phone booth 
near Louisville, Galleria in Louisville, Kentucky. At the subsequent trial for this case, his lawyer claimed that he was mentally ill and requested a competency evaluation, which the court granted. The examining psychologist, J. Robert Noonan, concluded that Gibson had an IQ of 79 and refused to take responsibility for his actions, which he blamed on his alcoholism, but did not suffer from any mental illness that impaired his judgment. Due to this, he was found competent to stand trial and accepted an Alford plea for which he was sentenced to seven years imprisonment. Let's look up what Alford plea is. Uh, Alford plea also called a Kennedy plea in West Virginia. An Alford guilty plea and the Alford doctrine is a guilty plea in criminal court whereby a defendant in a criminal case does not admit to the criminal act and asserts innocence. Even if the evidence presented by the prosecution would likely be would likely to persuade a judge or jury to find a defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, this can be caused by circumstantial evidence and testimony favoring the prosecution and difficulty finding evidence witnesses without aid of the defense. Did you guys get that? I don't know. I didn't really. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But anyways, um, he was sentenced to seven years imprisonment at the Luther Luckett Correctional Complex in LaGrange. Upon learning his conviction, his wife divorced him. During his imprisonment, where he was offered to attend sexual uh, sex offender rehabilitation program, Gibson refused to admit responsibility for his crime and was thus deemed ineligible to participate while he was considered an obedient inmate who rarely caused trouble even earning an associate's degree in art from the Lindsay Wilson College, several psychiatric assessments included, concluded that Gibson had poor judgment and often experienced conflicting feelings of loneliness and losing control. Despite these diagno uh, diagnostics and his refusal to complete the rehabilitation program, he was deemed unlikely to reoffend. He was released on April 5th, 1999, after which he was added to the Indiana Sex and Violent Offender Registry. After his release, he started dating Kelly Bailey. The pair moved into an apartment in Borden, Indiana. However, Bailey left him in 2000 due to Gibson's worsening drug habits. Later that year, Bailey filed a police report claiming that Gibson had blocked her car with his vehicle while she was delivering newspapers and proceeded to hit her before stealing her car keys and fleeing the scene. While her case was considered credible due to the visible injuries on her face, it was ultimately not pursued due to the lack of evidence. The following year, Gibson was arrested for stealing a Harley-Davidson motorcycle and sentenced to three years imprisonment, but was allowed to spend half of that time at the Madison State Hospital in Madison, where he would receive treatment for his drug and alcohol addiction. Hospital staff claimed that Gibson seemed disinterested in the treatments and two psychi uh, psychiatrics later diagnosed him with bipolar disorder for which he was prescribed Seroquel. But again, no indication of mental illness or a psychiatric disorder were noted. After his release from the hospital, he was sent to serve the rest of his sentence at the Floyd County Jail where he remained until his discharge March 12, 20, uh, 2002. Known murders on October 10th, 2002. Wow, not even seven months. 
Gibson was out drinking at a bar in Jeffersonville when he met 44-year-old Karen Sue Adela, a beautician from Port Orange, Florida, who was visiting a boyfriend of hers at the time. After spending some time at local bars, the pair found themselves at an apartment complex in New Albany. They argued over some prescription medication that Gibson had supposedly stolen. Angered by the accusations, Gibson punched Odella in the face, then took out a pocket knife and stabbed her multiple times in the throat. Before driving around and dumping her body in Clarksville, soon after the murder, he had a tattoo inscribed on his lower right arm indicating the date of the murder, accompanied by an image of a knife. Odella's badly decomposed body was found January 7, 2003, and identified via thumbprints from a previous, previous arrest. Three weeks after the murder, Gibson was arrested for driving a GMC truck while drunk. After going through a four-day withdrawal, he was examined by the prison psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel Howerton, while Gibson complained of frequent headaches, stomach aches, and insomnia, and hypochondriasis. Howerton and the prison's mental therapist concluded that he suffered from mild anxiety and had indication of antisocial behavior, uh, but was otherwise sane in May 2003. Gibson sued the prison authorities, claiming that they had improperly denied him access to Seroquel and for housing him in squalid conditions. But the suit was thrown out by a federal judge who considered it baseless. After being released from jail, Gibson continued hanging around bars, but on February 21st, 2006, he stole the purse and $300 from a female acquaintance. Her husband tracked down Gibson's brown Toyota and had him arrested for theft, which Gibson serving a three-year sentence until he was released circa Independence Day in 2009. During that time, he found a job at CNC Hardwood Flooring in Borden, where he was described as a diligent worker and was regarded positively by friends and neighbors. For attending the local non-denominational Power of the Cross Church, making, making paper mache figures, and for helping his sick mother, on the other hand, patrons of the bars he frequented considered him strange, and on the least a few occasions, he had asked out women to visit his home to varying success. Gibson eventually stopped attending church altogether in late August 2011 when his mother was admitted to a nursing home. She passed away at Floyd Memorial Hospital January 8th, 18th, 2012, with some neighbors suspecting that her son greatly impacted Gibson's psyche. On March 24th that year, he met 35-year-old Stephanie Marie Kirk at the Uptown Bar in New Albany, where he arranged to take her to on a motorcycle ride. After spending the day doing drugs and having sex, the pair returned to Gibson's house, where they argued over some pills. In his anger, Gibson proceeded to rape and strangle her, sexually assault her body, breaking her back in the process, and then burying her body in his backyard. On April 18th, he was visited by a 75-year-old friend of his late mother, Christine Wittis. The latter had always supported Gibson and even gave him money. He raped and strangled her before mutilating her corpse, cutting one of her breasts off. Then he left the body on the garage floor surrounded by garbage bags. Arrest, trial, and imprisonment. On the following day of Gibson's sister, Gibson's sisters went to their mother's house to settle the division of the family estate. And after checking the garage and finding Wittis' body, she immediately notified the police. Later that day, Gibson was arrested for drunk driving in Wittis' car. 
and charged with her murder five days later. A few days later, he confessed responsibility for Herdella's murder. He also willingly led them to the location where he had buried Kirk's body. And on April 27th, authorities dug up her body from his backyard. On May 23rd, Gibson was officially charged with her murder as well. With prosecutors announcing that he had he would seek the death penalty for all three killings. During his murder trial, prosecutors presented an interview Gibson had given to investigators upon his arrest, during which he claimed that an evil had come over him and he made him commit the murders. On October 25th, 2013, Gibson was found guilty in Wittes' murder at jury trial, with the jurors taking less than 20 minutes to find him guilty on all charges. At his sentencing the following month, Gibson was subsequently handed a death sentence, to which he told the sentencing judge that it was no big deal and that he deserved what he was getting. In regards to his upcoming murder trials, he changed his plea and waived his rights to a speedy trial choosing to plead guilty to Hodella's murder instead. As part of the deal, it was decided that evidence presented at the Hodella trial would not be used as evidence or aggravating factor in any of the follow-up trials. A substantial issue arose when Gibson had a tattoo done on the back of his shaved head, which said, Death Row times three. According to Justice Susan Orth, the, the tattoo could prejudice the jury and possibly ran a fair trial. And because of this, prison authorities were forbidden from cutting Gibson's hair so the tattoo could be covered up. At this final murder trial, Gibson unexpectedly pleaded guilty again, waiving his right to a jury trial. In spite of guilty plea, prosecutors pushed for another death sentence, aiming to prove aggravating factors during the commission of Kirk's murder. On August 15, 2014, Gibson was sentenced to death again with sentencing Justice Orth deeming that it was the only appropriate sentence in regards to the brutal killing. Aftermath. Since his incarceration, Gibson has repeatedly appealed his death sentences with his defense lawyer claiming that his confession to the Kirk murder was a mitigating circumstance. These appeals were rejected, uh, rejected by the Indiana Supreme Court, with reaffirmed, which reaffirmed all of his convictions. In 2018, he was among several death row inmates to be featured in the documentary Inside Death Row, hosted by British journalist Trevor McDonald. Gibson has also done several interviews on various podcasts, which he has professed responsibility for an additional 30 murders committed across multiple states, additionally claiming that he has sexually abused and even cannibalized the victim's corpse. Among the murders he has confessed to is the 2000 murder of Elizabeth Bannister, who was stabbed to death at her home in Evansville, but so far he has not been charged with her murder. All right, everybody, that is uh, the twofer today on uh, season seven, episode one. That was William Clyde Gibson III, and I hope you enjoy all this. Uh, I'm going to start getting these episodes up again. Uh, Hopefully on a quicker pace than what I did the previous season. I was doing, what, one every couple of weeks or one once a month or something. I really don't remember, guys. It's It's been a while. But I'll just be happy to get some stuff out to you guys. And, um, yeah. All right. So for the uh, Serial Killer, I'm your host, Jeremy Skaggs. Until next time, everybody.